Our sermon series for this December Advent is based upon Isaiah's prophesying to King Ahaz in the eighth century before the Common Era. Ahaz was literally stuck between the oppressors of the north as well as those in the south and none of them were friendly. He was a king who knew that his destruction was being sought after. And Isaiah promised that God would provide a sign and this sign of recovery would come in the form of a young pregnant woman. Now, it's not too formidable to have a young pregnant woman when you are a king and you feel as though your life and your kingdom is threatened. But listen to how Isaiah describes this promised king. For unto us a child has been born, unto us a savior is given. Authority rests on his shoulders and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Please pray with me. Dear God, we pray that you will silence in us any voice but yours. Through these words of Holy Scripture and may our meditation, may they bring us to know your truth that we might become faithful followers of your Son. Amen. The early church in the town of Emphasis was formed in the shadow of the great temple of Artemis. Artemis' temple was one of the seven wonders of the world and had been for centuries. It was a place where you worshiped situational gods and goddesses and where sorcerer's magic took hold because there were evil spirits to believed walking around. In Ephesus at that time, there was also the Roman soldiers who were threatening your lives. It was not a very safe place to feel. It's in this setting that a humble faith proclaimed that Christ is cosmic, was with God from the very beginning, and is omnipotent over all time and place. Baptism into Christ's body and keeping the faith, that alone will bring you salvation. So Paul's letter is really a pep talk of just keep the faith. And here's the closing to his letter to the people in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of God's power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you might be able to withstand the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Here ends our reading. Now going back centuries and centuries ago, I wonder if King Ahaz really paid attention to Isaiah's prophecy that the mighty God would come as an infant. The kingdom needed protection right then and there and not in decades to come. And placing your trust in an infant might be okay for priests and those that are really weak, but a king needs strength right then. I can only wonder if the recipients of Paul's letter were really hoping to hear that God would subdue the sorcerer's evil magic and eliminate the threat of the Roman sword. When you're truly afraid to walk out your door and encounter another human being, truth and righteousness don't feel very secure. And I wonder who threatens our lives today. Now, threaten might be too harsh a word. You might wake up not thinking who threatens me today. But who or what causes you to feel vulnerable? And what would a mighty God do to change that? Secure your job? Dissolve any barriers to finding competent care for older parents or younger children? 
I know, how about shelter us from gang violence? In all instances, it's honest to acknowledge that when we feel our lives are at risk, we seek to trust in something or someone that will vanquish that powerful foe. It's as if we'd like to say, protect me because I am just not enough. So it causes us to wonder, how is Jesus our mighty God? You see, Jesus calls a motley crew of disciples and entrusting the good news to them. They listened, and it is that good news that prevailed over all of the evils of the world at that time. Jesus is able to see into the heart of the rich young ruler Zacchaeus, and Jesus has the courage to invite himself to that guy's house for dinner. And in doing so, Zacchaeus repents of all the ways in which he's deceived his way to wealth, and he decides to change. Jesus brings a Roman centurion's servant to life rather than letting him die, which might have been the right thing, you'd think, if you don't want the soldier to kill you, but that's not what Jesus does. Jesus engages with his fierce opponents who challenge him and try to box him in, and in doing so, he unlocks spiritual truths that they had long buried. Jesus does not oppress anyone, he connects, and he is fully present. The mighty God of Isaiah's prophecy appears vulnerable in modest sandals and just a hand-spun cloak. The mighty God never diminishes the other, but brings about life by engaging with the other. And God's might does not fear the other or build barriers between. God's might is always a grace that changes us for the better. And this is a divine imprint that we all bear. And as followers of Christ, this is the armor of God that Paul tells us to put on. Now, the author Colin Fleming, I googled him, and it's not the tennis player Arthur Fleming, Colin Fleming, although he might have the same kind of story. The writer Colin Fleming writes of venturing into an unpopular bar at a very low point in his life. And perhaps he chose an unpopular bar because he didn't want to run into any of his friends. And perhaps he chose a bar because he was looking for strength in a bottle. His bartender, he describes, was about his age, and he assumed that his bartender was much better off because he was actually able to talk to other people, and he was working. But as it turns out, the bartender was candid enough to share that he was receiving unemployment. He could not find work in his chosen profession, and tending bar produced very little income. But to Fleming, this man did not come across as fragile, but instead, I quote, this guy is impressive. He is solid about his belief in himself. He has problems to deal with, and he knows that there's no point in pretending that they're not there. And because of this candid encounter, Fleming lets his guard down. The bartender's honesty was disarming. You see, most people put on the false smile of, it's all fine, it's all fine, and I'm going to put up this so that you don't know what's hide, what I'm hiding behind, and, and I'm going to hide so that you don't become any of the wiser. Fleming writes, and this is the quote that I love the most, the result is that many people go on play acting. They never take a seat at life's bar to look over the wood at an honest person and make the type of connection that humans always need to remain tethered to the truth. In case you're wondering if I got this story from Facebook or a pastoral care website, I didn't. It was published in the Wall Street Journal under the perfect title of Don't Clam Up When Life Gets You Down. 
Now we might experience this connection with each other in times of trial as something we call empathy. Empathy seeks to understand life as experienced by the other. It is to suffer with someone suffering. It is to face danger together. It's to experience life as our neighbor experiences life. Empathy asks us to let our guards down to be fully present. It's scary and it's also very life-giving. The Pew Foundation recently asked thousands of Americans, where do they find meaning? How do you stand up in your life? And out of all the responses, here was one of the stories that I loved the most. Wow, what a terrible time to ask. I would have said my job until last week, but I've gone through some surprise ownership changes and I don't know if tomorrow I'm going to be fired or if I will be forced to quit. I guess what keeps me going are the surprising acts of kindness I see every day in this city. A kid dropped and broke his toy on the train during rush hour and had a meltdown. Strangers grabbed the pieces and worked to snap it back together again while the frantic father tried to usher his screaming child off the train so that they wouldn't miss their stop. The toy was fire brigaded through the train to a grateful dad and a no longer screaming child. I have never seen a look of relief on a man's face or a happier kid. That's what makes life worth it. When our mighty God comes to us as Jesus, God shows us a love for the other that emptied out all of divinity to take humanity in and show us who we are. God stoops down to raise us up. God asks us to love our neighbor as ourselves and we can think of that love as empathy. And how we live on this earthly plane is what draws us closer to experiencing Christ in the heavenly realm. Empathy is not some cerebral idea, it's practical, it doesn't require training, and empathy saves lives. In early November, Julie Peterson organized an adult education evening and our sanctuary was filled with people from Faith Hope and St. Francis and a few folks from Kenilworth Union so that we could hear from Father Dave Kelly of Precious Blood Ministry and Phil Andrew, who's a former FBI executive officer and a specialist in gun violence and reducing gun violence. They spoke of restorative justice and other tactics to reduce violence by meeting face to face those youth who are most vulnerable to either be involved in a crime or to perpetrate a crime. Empathy was mentioned repeatedly in programmatic and legal efforts and in all of the ways in which they try to bring about reducing crime. At the end of the evening, after all sorts of ideas had been tossed around about how we can be involved, it was 19-year-old Nigel who stood up. Nigel had been involved in a crime and through Precious Blood's work was now in college and he spoke. He was direct and impassioned. He said, you know what, these kids do need jobs, but most of all, they need to learn to talk. They need someone to go talk to them and teach them how to not say um all the time. They need someone to listen to them because they do have something to say, but they don't know how to say it. Just go down there, teach them how to talk, and the rest will, the rest will work itself out. So let me close with my story. Last Saturday, I shopped at Whole Foods in Lincoln Park for the coming week's groceries. And in Lincoln Park, on a holiday weekend, it's really, really quiet. There were very few checkout lines open, even on a Saturday morning, and they were all moving slowly. And of course, I chose the slowest line. 
As I was starting to unload my groceries, I realized I'd left my iPhone at home with my very necessary Whole Foods app to give me the 10% discount. People are knitting, they're nodding their heads. Um, and I also didn't have my online wallet, but at least I had a credit card. So, you know, I could continue on. But I'll admit, I looked through my cart wondering what had I bargained shop that was on sale that day that I was not going to be able to get the reduced price, and what would I do? And I'm thinking, this is really silly because I'm shopping at Whole Foods and I shouldn't be thinking about saving money. <laughs> when I lamented to my checkout guy the missing phone, he smiled broadly and he said, they call me Mr. Wonderful. I can offer you the price adjustment. This gesture alone made up for the fact that it was a very slow line. Mr. Wonderful had an infectious smile. He was of a very slight build, and from the hearing devices that were visible and his mannerisms, he appeared as though he was not born typically abled with hearing as I might have been. As I focused on bagging my groceries, he then stopped and asked, and he said, please tell me, what book has transformed your life? I was at Whole Foods. It wasn't the seminary co-op bookstore. It wasn't the Newberry Library bookstore. It wasn't even the bookstall. I was at Whole Foods on a Saturday morning. But his earnestness and his eye contact inspired an honest thought. So as an aside, it felt like a huge risk. I do not wear my collar outside of church often. And if I read a theology book on the airplane, I usually remove the dust jacket. I hope to live my faith, but I don't broadcast it any more loudly than just wearing a simple cross every now and then. So I actually was kind of surprised at myself when I immediately said, Holy Scripture has and continues to change my life. He smiled broadly and responded. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He said, you know, my favorite book of all of Scripture is the Gospel of John. But then again, I love Moses' psalm, Psalm 90, and he paused, wondering if I would engage with him. I don't know Psalm 90, but I know our God, our help in ages past. It's my favorite hymn. And that's how I responded, and we both felt like we scored because we were speaking the same language. He said, oh, how I love the poetry of Song of Songs, what a gift. And then he started talking about the prophets, and he said, can you even believe, Jonah, who in their right mind argues with God? I'm like, well, Jonah does, and a bunch of us still do argue with God. Now, I don't want you to think that we were just only doing this, because our banter went on as he was scanning and I was bagging, and he'd ask about the cauliflower and whether or not I wanted my bag credit or donated, blah, blah, blah. Once we were done and he was handing me my receipt, he said, you know, though, the most profound book, particularly at this time of year, is the prophecy from Isaiah. Unto us a child is born, unto us a Savior is given. They will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I was speechless. Before this sermon series, I confess I could not have put all four modifiers and descriptors in the right placed in the right order. I don't sing Handel's Messiah. Perhaps by the end of Advent in the sermon series, I might remember all four attributes in order, but I don't know. What I do know is that I will never forget those because of Mr. Wonderful. It's Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Mr. Wonderful at Whole Foods had the courage to stand and witness to the word. 
So I'll close with three things. Here was my lesson from Saturday morning. I will continue to be transformed by Holy Scripture when I am willing to be honest with another and let my guard down and truly connect because I was washed by a grace that day and I am still walking on the clouds. Here's the challenge from that encounter that I had. Am I willing to engage with another on his or her terms in the way in which he or she may need? It may be never speaking a word of scripture, but by living into its word. So what happens when I take off my standoffishness and put on the armor of God to let empathy enter in between me and that other person? And here's my prayer. I'm willing to try this, particularly now in Advent. And I pray that you too may be willing to be fully present with another person in the way he or she may need you that you never, ever knew. I pray, may it be so. Amen.